is a fan-off production. Siri International, episode 371. I am Andy from Germany. And I'm Dave from the UK. And we sadly must inform you that, although we planned otherwise, David from the US is not with us for this recording. He absolutely planned on being with us. He watched the movie and everything, but he also uh, warned us that maybe he wasn't able to make it because he was in Chicago for C2E2 this weekend. He only came back, I don't know, late last night, and for him, our recording time is early in the morning, or relatively early in the morning, so he informed us um, shortly before the recording that he, he's he's not be, <laughs> he's not able uh, to record, but he will be back next week, and he will give us his thoughts on our main topic of today's episode, which is, we have a ghost, we make a time jump from the 1920s into the 2020s were pretty current with this movie so Very. new movie sound everything uh and, and probably a lighter movie than the last few that we watched wouldn't you say so dave oh yeah i mean this is absolutely meant to be a comedy but it's also one of those comedies that has a lot of heart to it so we'll we'll get to it when we get to it um, right. but of course we have other things that we need to cover first <laughs> All right, so, yeah, uh, Housekeeping, Yuri International, as you know, is on social media at YuriINT on Twitter and Yuri International on f Instagram and Facebook. Our email address is International at gmail.com. No messages this week that we need to get to. So uh, it's just David and myself again for this episode uh, talking about things we watched. And horror-wise, I have nothing, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> This might be a low-key episode. It um, could very well be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you have anything? Do you want to talk about anything? Um, uh, yeah, very briefly. Um, I mean, first of all, best wishes to, to Dante Martin, who, uh, you know, you say you saw nothing uh, in the horror genre this week, but you were sent a, a text <laughs> yeah. uh, which, which contained a video of him having his horrendous uh, injury. So we wish him all the best uh, on WrestleMania weekend of all weekends. Um, hopefully um, he can uh, come back to the ring fairly soon. Um, but uh, as for me, I did follow through for once with what I said I was going to do because I, I did mention last week that I'd listened to the first two parts of uh, The Midwich Cuckoos, which is uh, probably better known to most people as the story that uh, The Village of the Damned was based on. Um, I finished part three yesterday, and I I think it's a very well-produced show. It's a radio show from... I have details about it now because I actually did some research. I know, me, doing research. Who would have thought it? <laughs> um, so this is the 1982 production that I was listening to ah, from BBC. And um, 
It's very, very well produced, as you would expect, from BBC Sound Workshop from the 80s. Um, they they really were kind of like at the leading edge of, of that kind of stuff. Their sound design is, is second to very few. Um, but I have to say, like, it's not massively scary. It's, it's a good drama um, with sci-fi elements, but I wouldn't really call it horror to be honest with you and that's not to say the horror can't work in um in the audio space because we've talked about audio dramas that um you know like the road and things like that it definitely works um but uh, i don't know there was just something missing from it um I, I don't know how heavily edited it is from the original novel um but uh it just didn't really have the kind of content that you would hope for um, especially when you're listening to it through the medium of YouTube and there's a screensaver on the video of like a haunted old house with lightning striking outside and an eyeball twitching from side to side out of the blackness of, of the shadows of the room and all that kind of stuff. Like the video was a hundred times more scary than the actual story I was listening to. Um, but I, I still recommend it because I think it's a really well done drama, very good voice acting, very good sound design. Um, classic, uh, you know, radio sound design of, oh, well, we have to have the noise of somebody walking up a path. So here's a tray full of gravel and two boots, and we're just going to push them into the gravel to get that sound going. Um, so it, it was, uh, it, it was a good experience. I'm glad that I listened to it, but I was a little bit disappointed with the amount of, uh, of, of horror content that it ended up giving me. Um, but there we go. So that's basically everything for me this week. It's been a light week, but it is, as I mentioned before, WrestleMania weekend. So there were other considerations to be made. Have you seen any of the other adaptations of the Middle Witch Cuckoos, like the 1960s movie or the John Carpenter movie? Uh, do you know what? I have not, actually. Mm -hmm. um, Me neither. I know that the most recent adaptation which was actually called the midwitch cuckoos rather than village of the damned or anything like that mm -hmm. uh was made available because it was a sky co-production i believe it's available through now tv which i do have a subscription to as part of our tv and and phone package so i will probably try i'm not committing to this listeners so don't <laughs> pull me up on it but i will try to at least get the first episode in to see if it's uh any more like horror um but uh i i'm aware of the original village of the damned the black and white one i think i might have seen part of the sequel mm. children of the damned mm -hmm. um in passing but i didn't catch it from the beginning and so i couldn't really follow what was happening and, and very quickly kind of moved on but um it i think it's one of those stories and and one of those films certainly the black and white children of the damned which is so ingrained in pop culture that even if you've not seen it you're kind of aware of most of what what it's all about you know it's um i mean midwich cuckoos is it, pretty much on the nose you know like the the fact that the cuckoo is a bird that will oftentimes replace other birds eggs with its own and get them to raise their chicks for them um doesn't leave much to the imagination and it's very much the the case of of this story so mm. yeah we'll see we'll see where i go with it but i'll i'll try and and check out the first episode of of that new adaptation in the next week mm. depends how much wrestling i end up getting into <laughs> <laughs> i've only seen parts of the 
I, I believe I've seen parts of the 1960 version and of the John Carpenter version from 1995, but I've never seen mm. a whole movie. I believe I even started reading the book at some point. Someone gave me the book. I remember, like, when was that? 25 years ago or so. Um, but I don't have it anymore. I believe I read a bit of it. Not too much. So, yeah, I, I should look into availability, at least for the 1960 version, for mm. us to maybe do on the show. It's very yeah. interesting. I, I looked up I looked, at, look, I looked up the book on Wikipedia. It came out in 1957. Uh, so pretty much exactly the, the time when the, like the, the classic science fiction science fiction horror movies came out um mm. and the yeah as i said the the first adaptation was in 1960 so relatively close to the release of the book and then there's three radio adaptations from 1982 the one that you listened to 2003 and 2017 it seems like every 15 to 20 years there's a radio adaptation of the book <laughs> so it seems like it yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then that yeah the new tv series that you also just talked about so yeah um i'm interested if you check out the the tv show to to get your view on it now that you've listened to the to the radio show i'll let you know i'll let you know the thing is with the story i think that the uh, the first episode might be the slow burn of of, of the episodes so if i can mm. i probably should try and get more than one in but you know we'll see do you know how many episodes there are uh i don't but i can very quickly find out um okay. let's see midwich cuckoos The wonder of the internet. 2022. The internet. Yeah, everything's at our fingertips, isn't it? So <laughs> it is a... Uh, the problem is I found it, but where do you... Number of episodes, seven. Here we go. Yeah. Seven episodes. So um, I imagine the first episode will be the big setup, the big mystery, and then maybe moving on. I don't know. I think Keely Hawes is in it, and I like I like her from um, Ashes to ashes um i don't know it could this could be one of those things that i watch the first episode and then i'm just like okay well now i have to watch the rest of it <laughs> one after the other <laughs> maybe that'll be what i do uh one day <laughs> absolutely possible um yeah i don't know i as i said i don't really have any horror content this week didn't write anything down so what, what, what did i do this week dave i know i went to see john wick four <laughs> yesterday <laughs> well tell us um, about john wick four what, what were your uh, thoughts thoughts on that maybe not uh go into the plot because i sure. i've yet to see it and i'm sure there's plenty of other people that haven't but um i'd be interested mm. to know what you thought of it so uh, i thought it's fantastic i had a great time at the mm. cinema I, there was so much going on that I just movie making wise that I kept focusing on and paying attention to and just th things that we talked about last week right where we talked mm. about watching movies not only for plot and dialogue and characters but also for how they are made and especially the lighting in the movie and the sound it's just fantastic um i didn't quite know what to expect and of course people have talked about that the movie has a runtime of almost three hours <laughs> and that's another thing that we recently talked about like yeah. perfect length of movies and so on and i listened to a podcast today about john wick four and they quoted and i don't know if they were exactly sure but it may have been like a roger ebert quote where he said something like um 
good movies are never short enough. No, good movies are never long enough and bad movies are never short enough or something like that. Mm. Uh, and of course, yeah, that, that basically probably uh, there's, there's probably a lot of truth to that. So, uh, yeah, I was never bored. I was with the movie throughout for all its 170 minutes. And I, yeah, I thought it's a, it's a fantastic action movie. Very well shot, choreographed, everything that you would expect from a John Wick movie. More myth-making and world-building. Uh, Jet Stahelski, the director, calls the John Wick series fantasy movies, which I w found very interesting. <laughs> where he said he's, he's a big Tolkien fan, and he loves all the, the fantasy stuff, but no one's making like modern fantasy movies. And of course, as we know, there's all these elements about the the, the mythology that never really get totally explained but and and that are absolutely not like realistic in a way so there there are these fantasy elements that you maybe not quite recognize as fantasy elements because it's such a naturalistic setting that mm. they're all placed in but then of course yeah there's so much going on that just doesn't make sense in a way but in the in the movie world in the John Wick world it totally does and it just makes for a great cinematic experience so yeah i had a great time and I recently read somewhere that Lionsgate is considering a fifth movie. Yes, please. Um, Make as many yeah. as you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, depends. This would be a nice closure. Mm. So, of course, there's always the possibility to make another one. But if they just kept it at four and... and from what Jet Stahelki said on the interview, they never even planned on making a fourth one. Mm. Um, when they made three, they thought they were done, and that was it. And now they made a four, and it would be a fantastic closure to the story. But yeah, as I said, of course, it's always possible that they make another one. And so far, uh, I think I enjoyed all of them. I haven't seen all of them in the perfect setting. I think I saw three on a plane only <laughs> so far. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, uh, I'd i like to rewatch them all at some point. But yeah, I, so four, definitely um, a recommendation um, from me. Awesome. I, I keep hearing just all of the best things about it, not just the film itself, yeah. but of course the production and the story of how... Uh, um, the production crew, all the stuntmen were gifted t-shirts by Keanu Reeves with the number of times they had each died on screen uh, <laughs> emblazoned on them, which I thought was a lovely bit, little bit of humour. Um, and of course, like Keanu Reeves himself has so much goodwill uh, from a lot of people just because of just what a stand-up lovely guy he seems to be. Um, that it's always uh, It's always nice to see another one of his movies, especially the ones that get so much um critical love as well as mm. audience love um are there still talks about there being a continental tv show i know nothing about that okay. i know that there's this ballerina spin-off that they wanted to make mm. uh, i don't know where that production is at this point and I know nothing about a TV show. No I idea. think maybe I'm maybe I'm making this up in my mind, but I'm sure at one point I heard there were talks about the possibility of a TV show based around mm -hmm. the hotel. Hmm. Um, now, how easy that would be without a concierge, um, I, I do not know. 
but um it's definitely something that i think has got a lot of legs to it like this this world in general um that john wick inhabits is so much larger than just his story like they could very easily spin off into multiple different characters um like i forget the i forget her name but the um the accomplice that he has in John Wick 3 that has the highly trained dogs. Um, Halle Berry's character. Halle Berry's character. I, yeah. I, I would love to for there to be like a, a spin-off of, of that or an, a, a film that focuses more in on um, on her and her dogs, you know. There's a couple of new characters in, in John Wick 4 that could easily be spun mm. out of this one and, and get their own stories made. And I don't know. I, I mean, you know my take on, on TV series nowadays. I don't... I barely watch any, and, and I'm not too keen on them. And especially with this world, which is so cinematic, I don't know if they would be able to reproduce the aesthetic mm. of the John Wick movies to the to the to the TV series format. So, yeah, I, 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 yeah. someone would watch it. I, it wouldn't probably be me. <laughs> there, there's a lot of money floating around in TV even now. Um, so if they wanted to, then they absolutely could, because all it would take for them to establish that aesthetic would be for them to bring the right people in. You know, the director of photography, you sent a message in the WhatsApp the other day. Was it you or was it yeah. David that sent the message, actually? It was me, yes. It was you. And um, you were uh, talking about the fact that you just found out that the uh, director of photography um, did, did uh, who worked on it from John Wick 2 onwards did Mimic, Kim, Crimson Peak, Shape of Water, Nightmare Alley, um, Silent Hill and Brotherhood of Wolves. Um, like there's a, there's an awful lot of, of films that he's re responsible with, uh, for. Um, if you can get the DP on board, throw all of the money at him to make sure that visually the show stays very similar. Um, like I know there's people that are going to scoff at this, but the um, the current season of Picard which I'm still watching at the moment. We're up to episode seven. It looks so much closer to the Next Generation movies than it does to any TV series that has come before. And I think that's just both the evolution of how TV is made, like the production values of TV, meaning that they're able to make these things look a lot more filmic. But also, I, I think the visual language of Star Trek just changed to the point there where they wanted to make it all feel the same. And if they were going to make movies in future, then why not have the TV shows look like the films would, if that makes any sense. Mm. Um, but I think if you can get a DP on board that can... Maybe you don't need this particular one, but a good DP that can actually mimic, no pun intended... Um, that visual style and bring it to the TV screen, then I've got no reason to think that it wouldn't work. But mm. it, they, they would need to make sure that it wasn't just a, a, a cash grab. It would have to be from the same minds as the John Wick series and it would have to give the same amount of time and effort into developing fight scenes and things like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would like the, to see the... It's also the the sets, the production design, the stunts, the action choreography, it's everything. Cool. There's a lot that goes into these movies. It was very interesting. I mean, I know Jed Stahelski. I don't think I've ever listened to an interview with him, but hearing him talk about um, movies like 
singing in the rain and talking mm. about Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire and and uh, comparing that to what they do with the John Wick movies, mm. uh, and that makes so much sense because I I know I talked about music a lot last week when I talked about movies, but over the course of the week, <laughs> I thought to myself, dance is actually also something that we should consider uh, as a as an analogy where you watch if you don't where we where you watch dance just the way that you watch wrestling in a way yeah where mm. like watch for the for the beauty of the movement <laughs> mm, mm. in a way uh and and then yeah Stahelski actually talked about that where pe people he said something like people just enjoy watching people do things well so you enjoy watching Gene Kelly dance well and you enjoy watching Keanu Reeves shoot well he doesn't say shoot well but you know <laughs> all these 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 action scenes the, the gun foo of it all <laughs> yeah but there is something to that I, I think that the appeal of, of gun foo if we're, if we're going to use the term which is the official term for it to be fair um, is that it is a dance more than it is anything else like it, it has that fluid fluidity to it that kung fu and and high level martial arts have as well um i can't remember whether it was kickboxing or it was a specific type of kickboxing but if you watch ong back or one of the other movies that came out around about that similar kind of time like it is brutal but there is again this kind of balletic quality to it and it, it's through the choreography of course you know but um I don't know. I, I just I think that there is a lot more that can be explored in that um, in that universe, and and what I think lends itself to making it into a TV show is the fact that John Wick is a movie that is made on locations rather than on sets, right? So you can mm. I I know that there are sets involved, of course, but like. Whenever I think of John Wick, I always think of places that they don't they don't look like sets. They look like actual locations, and there's a lot of location shooting involved, and there is set uh, shooting involved as well. But the sets never look out of place of uh, of being like a place that you could actually find. So I don't know. I I just I I don't think that they they would need like a, a horrendously huge budget to make a, uh, a TV show set in that universe in the same way that they would have to if they were making Game of Thrones or something like that where, oh, we need a castle now and it needs to look like it's brand new. Like, <laughs> we can't just go to a ruin somewhere in the middle of nowhere because that's not going to work for us. Um, I don't know. Let, let's see where they go with it, I guess. Yeah. It's probably just my attitude towards it. I would never argue for a TV show. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I completely understand where you're coming from there. Um but yeah, it's. Uh, I I would like to see it, but yeah, <laughs> the, the 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 good thing is neither of us have to worry about what we say affecting anything. Uh, they're they're just yeah. going to do what they're going to do, <laughs> and we can either ignore them or we can enjoy them or we can watch them and hate them. You know, like <laughs> there are many options where it comes to uh, to media. <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. All right, um, let's get to our main topic of the week then. We Have a Ghost is a 2023 American supernatural horror comedy film written and directed by Christopher Landon based on the 2017 short story Ernest by Jeff Manow. 
M-A-N-A-H-U-G-H. Manu, I would say, but I... There's too many ways of pronouncing yep. that. <laughs> I don't think that there's a wrong way to say it, to be fair. <laughs> it stars David Harbour, Jahi Winston, Tig Notaro, Jennifer Coolidge, and Anthony Mackie. It was released on February 24th, 2023 by Netflix and received mixed review reviews from film critics. Let's see where our reviews will land. Um, so there's no short synopsis on Wikipedia. Dave, do you want to give a short synopsis for this one? <laughs> um, <I> should... <laughs> you don't have to be clever you can just summarize the movie for once <laughs> okay okay um a family moves into an old house discovers they have a ghost to make a load of money off of it and then realize that actually he had a life after all uh <laughs> i don't know there's more to it than that but we can we can get into it um i'm i'm not Massively surprised that uh, what you said there about how it was it had a mixed reaction from critics, because based on the first half of the movie, I would give it a very very different review to having watched the whole thing. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that the critics that didn't like it only watched the first half and then walked out, but um, it's it's a very uneven movie. Um, it's got some character choices that i'm not entirely sure about uh like there are characters that i just i just don't like and they can make as much grand gestures as the movie goes on as they like it i still am not going to think of them kindly um details dave details we're talking about we 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 are totally in spoiler territory always Okay, so the dad for a start. Yeah. I like I I I like Anthony Mackie. I think he's a brilliant actor and I've liked him in pretty much everything that I've seen and I don't dislike the performance that he gives and overall I can understand where they're going with the character, but his first thought is let's make money off of the entity and he doesn't listen to his kids and like the mother, right? She throws an orange at Kevin and then... No, it's not him. No, no not her. She doesn't throw the orange. She uh, she complains about them throwing the orange. That's right. Sorry. You're, yeah, you're right. Is it Fulton that throws the orange at him but, or but, his dad? But, um, yeah, I'm not not entirely sure. It's anymore, one of them, but, but she's the one that that uh, is more mad about the orange she's being more, thrown yes. than being the son hit with the orange. Absolutely, like e- even after she rationalizes it as well, organic fruit is expensive here. She yeah. could have at least gone over to him and like brushed his head or like said, "Are you okay?" or something like that, just to show that she was actually concerned. Because then it would come off more like a joke, you know. Yeah. Um, but I just, yeah. I, I, I don't like the parents that much, to be honest with you. There's <laughs> there's things that they do that just don't they they don't make me like them as people or parents. Mm-hmm. Um and of course they do end up making amends in different ways in the second half of the film, but I've still got that taste in my mouth where I'm just like, Yeah, but you were still more bothered about your fruit and you were more bothered about making cash than the welfare of your kids and you know like i i like everyone else i even like fulton who's a complete dick but 
he's a teenager like he's meant to be a dick you know mm. like he's still learning he's still growing and developing um i thought the 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 boys had a wonderful relationship because towards the end when um and i'm blanking oh, on when the they come back name. yeah when they come back and 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 he says sorry about the car and yeah. it's just a car <laughs> yeah and yeah. It is, that's usually not what you would expect from that like type of character in a movie mm, like mm. the the dick brother <laughs> yeah. who would care more about his car than about his brother uh but then there's this scene where he says oh, it's just a car <laughs> yeah i i like that a lot i'm with you like the moment that you started talking about that i was like i i bet i yeah. bet i know the scene that you're going to mention and then you did mm. um that's that is a great scene because it really shows that there is concern between the two of them there um I, a lot of the other characters I really like. I'm, I'm going to go through it in ascending order of how much I like them. Um, Tignataro, right? Now, she's a weird, weird one because I've seen Tignataro in a few things. Uh, she's in Discovery, uh, Star Trek yes. Discovery, um, as uh, the uh, the engineer. They kind of inherit her from a, <laughs> from a, a broken down station or something like that. Um, and I always find her very funny. She always plays very similar, um, characters as well. She's always very Tignotaro. Very much so. And I like that. Like there's, there's nothing about that kind of character that I, I don't like. I, I, I like wry senses of humor. I like people that are a bit sardonic. Um, I like Jack D as a comedian and he's like the driest of the dry. Um, but what I really like about that character is that she has like um there there's a, a moral center to her that you don't really see until the tail end of the movie. Before then it's all about wanting to prove her work and justify her life and it's all very kind of self-aggrandizing, but it makes sense for that character with what she knows and, and what she's experienced. But then she sees how they're treating Ernest and she does a complete turnabout and she's like well this isn't right so fuck this i'm i'm, I'm busting him out um and i really like that i i i thought that um dr leslie what's her for dr leslie what's her character's name it's leslie something leslie monroe, monroe. Yeah, yeah um good character like i would have liked to see a little bit more of her actually but uh, we saw as much as we did. Um, the next door neighbor, Joy. Yeah. <laughs> great character. She is great. Um, like, there's just something about the writing of that character which I really enjoy. Like the fact that she says stuff like, "I would bet my left nut," and then Kevin is like, "Sorry, you're what?" <laughs> and like they bust into the toilets and. Um, she says, you can't be in here, this is the boys' toilet. She's like, shut up with your gender norms and all this kind of stuff. Like, she she's a, a very fun character to watch on screen. Like, there's a really cool energy about her. Um, the library scene where she says, I think it's always weird that people say that you have to be quiet in libraries. And then at the end of the scene, she walks out and she just blows into her um, trombone really loud. <laughs> that had me giggling that yeah. I, I i'm not gonna lie I, I i did laugh a lot i think she was responsible for probably about 75 percent of all of the laughs i got from this film 
mm-hmm. uh, a very funny character, and I really enjoyed the relationship between her and Kevin. Um, and of course, like the the guy that plays Kevin himself, um, J- uh, Jai Winston, um, really enjoyed his performance as well. Didn't need the singing or the guitar playing, but I guess it, it was, was a bit odd, wasn't it? Mm, it was kind of pointless. Did, didn't didn't quite. I did not quite understand where they took that from. Where, yeah. where they, where did the idea come from? Come from for the character to think I'm going to lure out the ghost by singing and playing the guitar. Yeah, the, that was a the, weird. There choice. was no setup for that. That was a bit weird. No, no, you're right. It, it's a very strange decision. I I appreciate that they at least set it up by explaining that he likes music and that he can play music and all that kind of stuff. The um the Star Wars bit. Was, was pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> um and then my my favorite character in this entire film is played by david harbour because you, you can't have Ernest without Ernest. it's funny that we've just finished a month talking about silent film mm-hmm. and then here we are talking about a film with a central character who essentially is silent like I think he says maybe two words the entire film. Um and his performance is just so so good. Uh the the way that you can look at him and he just emotes and tells you everything that you need to know about what that character is thinking and feeling at the time. Uh I'm I'm massively high on David Harbour and have been since uh, the, the same time that everyone has uh, else has been really. Um, you know, Stranger Things, I think, introduced a lot of people to him. I didn't realize I'd seen him in a few things years before this. Um, he turned up in an episode of Lie to Me, which I was rewatching recently. Mm. Um, but he's just such a good, an act- uh, such a good actor. And I think this is a role that probably won't get mentioned very much when people talk about him, but it should be because he does a lot of heavy lifting in this role, both comedic and just the, the emotional heart of the film. When we get to the story of uh, who Ernest is and why he ended up the way he did. Uh, It's just, you know, it's, it's a bit of a punch to the gut and it turns this into a, this is the funny, I was going to say a funny film. It's not always a funny film. It starts off kind of groan worthy. It develops into a funny film. And then it takes a turn where it becomes funny, but also like really heart wrenching and a little bit dramatic and and uh, thrilling. But yeah, David Harbour is just such a such a good. He gives such a good performance in this film, and I I'm not sure that I would have liked this movie anywhere near as much if it wasn't for him being in this role, because he really does bring something to it that I I think is worthwhile watching. You know, I, I would say people should watch this film just for his performance, if if not for anything else. I was pretty surprised that the character did not end up speaking mm. at least a sentence towards the end, because I totally expected that. That because the character he lost his memory, he can't speak, and I I was sure that at some point there would be a very emotional moment towards the end where he I don't know says thank you for whatever you yeah. know, but yeah. where he would would be able to to speak but they don't go there which i appreciate it um because mm. it's 
like the the obvious easy and maybe even most manipulative thing to do with such a character to have him then speak or have a, like a, an, an emotional speaking moment towards the end and yeah they they don't do that which mm. on the other hand a few things that i found a bit odd and then we we can talk about how we liked the movie which we really haven't done yet a few things that i found a bit odd but that totally that they they can't really go any other way from the way the movie is presented but it is a, it, a bit odd that kevin gets the last moment <laughs> with ernest yeah. and not the not the daughter <laughs> yeah that is but of really course it only shows up for that last scene we haven't seen her the whole movie at least not at that age we've seen flashbacks of, of her as a little girl um but so uh, at that point it, it makes uh, it, it, it makes it seem like kevin is the most important person in ernest's life uh, but of course, it is the protagonist of the, of the movie, so from where the movie is coming from, you cannot really end it uh, any other way, probably. Yeah. And then one thing that I found a bit odd that they keep calling him Ernest, the name after of they, his killer. Yeah, after they find <laughs> out what his real name is. Yeah. And again, it's Randy, we, wasn't it? Or something. Uh, yeah randy uh the whole world and and we as viewers we all know the character is ernest he wears the shirt it says ernest so of course it makes sense that they stick with the name but in <laughs> real life if they kept calling the murder victim by the name of the murderer it yeah, seems that's, pretty odd <laughs> seems a bit a bit cruel frankly yeah yeah, yeah. i i guess if he was able to talk, then that would probably make a difference. He could actually ask them to call him one thing or the other. Mm. Um, and also, like, he's never able to really tell people whether he's remembered everything or just certain things. Like, even at the end of the movie, talking about it now, I don't mm. know if he remembers everything or if he just remembers that he has a daughter and that he was murdered by his best friend. Like, mm. it's the weird way that memory loss works in movies where sometimes you suddenly have a flash and, and you get everything back and you have other movies where it's like, well, I remember piecemeal things, but I don't have everything back. And I think that's truer to how actual memory recovery happens where you just remember fragments at a time. You don't just suddenly unlock a door and it all floods back. But there's a lovely scene speaking about his daughter uh, where she touches him on the face and he grabs her wrist mm. and there's like this bright glow um where they're making contact and and then you kind of get the impression from the way they make the film that either he or she or maybe both of them are reliving these memories at the same time um and it's it's a really beautiful moment actually and the know. special thing special thing about this moment is that early on in the movie we learn that people cannot touch ghosts ghosts can touch people but mm. she can touch him. Yeah. And I I, I didn't really think too much about that at the time because I figured it was a case of, well, he, he can choose to become corporeal. You know, when he touches something, he basically chooses to make his hand solid, right? So he can kind of choose. If someone goes to touch his cheek, he can make his cheek solid. So mm. basically he's touching his... He's he's touching her hand with his cheek rather than the other way around. Mm -hmm. okay. um, 
I'm guilty of, of thinking about these things far too much. You know, I go into the mechanics of, of the rules of movies far too often when I should just be enjoying the experience. Um, I mean, yeah, that make, makes total sense. Uh, either way, uh, it, it just shows the connection between these char two characters. It makes um, it a lot more impactful, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I also agree with you. I, I was thinking this at the time when uh, the final moments are happening between um, Ernest or Randy or whatever we want to call him. Let's respect him. Let's call him Randy um, <laughs> and Kevin. And I was I was in the same space that you were where I'm just thinking, his daughter's right there. Why, why is Kevin getting the last moments? But from a filmmaking point of view, it makes more sense for Kevin to have those last moments with him. Couldn't you have them sitting either side of him? <laughs> isn't there a way that she could share that last moment and and if you're kevin and you see that Ernest or uh, randy is um kind of um i don't know what the word is uh, ascending i guess is the word i could hmm. use um hmm. to another plane would you not call his long lost daughter over to share one final moment with him before before he leaves this plane of existence because i know i would um, and but, that's where I think that the movie, at least in 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 such moments, is aimed towards a younger audience that really wants yeah. to stay with the protagonist, that identifies with the protagonist, and and for that audience, it's probably more important that those two characters share that moment because you followed them for two hours at that point. Hmm. And as I said, the, the, the adult daughter just showed up. She doesn't even say anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, do you know, there, there was a part of me, when Tig Notaro releases Ernest from his prison, there was part of me that was hoping that it would be like, Leslie isn't my birth name. It's actually Judy or whatever her name was. And like I'm... at that moment when she cries that tear, I was thinking, do we know her first name? Yeah. Do we know? <laughs> exactly. is, is she? Is it? Is she possibly June? I, yeah. I thought that as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought, oh god, like that—that that would be far too um, tidy for, for that to be the case, you know. Mm. But um, I don't know. There was part of me that kind of liked that as an idea, um, but. You know, we we got what we got, and it was fine. But uh, there were there were just kind of moments in this film where, rather than just sitting there and enjoying it, I was starting to kind of rewrite it in my head. Um, and that's a shame because that tends to mean that I'm not fully invested in it. It's probably not doing its. That, that's harsh of me to say it's not doing its job, because um, a lot of the time it's my fault. I will overanalyze things. Um, but yeah, I. It, it's not a perfect film, but I, I do enjoy it for what it does, specifically with the the Randy character um, and the relationship between Joy and Kevin. I I really enjoy, but I I kind of feel like Anthony Mackie was done a little bit dirty because he was given a character to play that I could never really like because he was a massive asshole. Even at the end when, when he acknowledges and he says, look, Kevin, I just want you to grow up to be the man that I always hoped I could be and all this kind of stuff. And he, he makes that run towards Ernest and you think like, Oh my God, he's misunderstanding something. He's going to go after Ernest. Does he not realize he can't touch him? Cause you know, that's how ghosts work. And then it turns out he is going after Ernest, just not the one that we're thinking. And 
he knocks Ernest Scheller out of the window. Um, even that, even him doing that, I'm still thinking to myself, yeah, but you're still an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like, rather than worrying about maybe solving the mystery of who Ernest is, you know, instead of doing that, you were just preoccupied with making money. And I, I get it. Your family needs money. And this was a good way of making it. But I I just feel like you, you can do both. You don't mm. have to be so obsessed with the, the money-making scheme that you can't think about the welfare of your family as well as the person who you are profiting off of. And I think that's maybe in the back of my mind where I kind of took a more of a dislike to that character mm. than, than anything else. Cause he, yeah, I think you're mm. not incorrect because I believe we never get a really strong connection between between father and son so mm. the, the that that last scene between randy Ernest and kevin there's a stronger emotional bond between those characters than there is between kevin and his own dad yeah. and the argument that yeah he the dad just he wants to feed the family so he needs to make money it he always comes off more as kind of a grifter uh yeah. a hipster, and uh, he just keen on like easy ways to make money not necessarily with the of course he feeds his family with that but it always seems like he's just more interested in 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 an easy way to make money and 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 not because that's the only way to feed my family but because for the thrill of it or or i don't know yeah Mm. he's not the he doesn't come along, uh, across as the the greatest dad. It, it's it's I mean, there 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 are so the I read somewhere where the movie was I don't know compared to to Emblem movies, and I think there's parts of that in the movie. It is that teen adventure uh, movie um, with a, like a, a supernatural element and. Even the, the the score in beginning in the beginning at least reminded me a little of those types of movies movies from the eighties that we grew up with and, and stuff like that. Um, but on the other hand, I think those movies usually left you with a like a a stronger bond within the family. They that those movies usually end with the movie re, uh, the the family really coming together and being a stronger unit than they were before. Mm. And I think this movie does that as well but not as not as strongly. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. so the, 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 of course we we have that last scene with the the mom and the dad coming uh dis- interrupting uh, the the kiss between the uh Kevin and, and Joy and and that I, I I'm I think that scene is supposed to show as well. Well, the the parents are happy, the family is happy, and and everything is fine, and and they they're moving into a new house, and and but still, there it, it there there's no real. I I don't, I don't really feel the bond between the parents and the kids. No, no, I I think that that is one of the things that is missing from the movie. I mean, I'm thinking about things like the Goonies, right? Where yeah. even then, you never really see. Uh, a familial bond until like right at the end of the movie where all of the kids are reunited with their parents 
and you've got like um, Chunk is reunited with his mum who kind of spits on her handkerchief and wipes away things around his mouth and you know like they're all doing those kind of parent things that you you see parents do and in in a kind of 20 to 30 second scene in the Goonies they manage to establish more of a bond between those family units than they do in this entire movie Mm. despite the fact that the kids spend 10 times as much time with their parents in this film on screen as the goonies ever do with theirs you know it's it's weird and it's because of things like the mum being more worried about the 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 bloody fruit than her (laughs) son's head or you know the dad telling his kid why he's wrong to do something but not listening to why you know the uh, the the kid is doing the things that he's doing. It's just all very. It's almost like it takes for granted the fact that you you should just assume that the family is better off now. You know, mm. like there's a there's a great moment where the mum steals her phone back so that she can call Kevin to find out what's going on, or or it's ringing and it's Kevin and she wants to talk to him. Um, and she bites Tignataro's head off basically she you know she says if you know where your son is and you have to tell us because you know aiding and abetting a known villain or whatever it was um but even then like the script really lets her down because it's the most kind of carbon copy uh scripting that I've seen and heard in ages she says I would rather swallow a bunch of razor blades and then chase it up with some fresh lemon juice and I'm like did an eight-year-old write that script? Like, and and I'm I'm sorry if that's offensive to whoever did write it, but it's just so so carbon copy one hundred and one script writing. Like, is there no original thing that you could put in there for you know I would rather do this or that? You have to go for the razor blade and, and lemon juice combo, do you? Okay, fine, whatever. Um, but you know that lets it down because that's a moment where you know, essentially you're showing that the mum cares more about her son than about the consequences of of uh, complying with federal agents, right? But they follow it up with, with that bit of scripting and it just mm. kind of takes all of the, um, the impact out of it because you're just left there rolling your eyes thinking, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? Mm. Who wrote this? Um, Which takes shame. me to... to- um, to the problems I think this movie has. So I we weren't already talking about those. Very <laughs> 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 my specific problems. No, go ahead. Uh, go that ahead. I wanted to talk <laughs> about. So I I enjoy the movie. I think it's it's a decent family entertainment uh, movie. Um, to be honest, I was very tired. I I barely got any sleep last night. Um, so I I it, towards around the the middle of the movie, I was pretty tired. Um. So when when Bianca asked me how I liked the movie, I said oh, I I thought it was pretty entertaining, but I was very tired. So I'm it felt very long, but that might have been because I was tired. I was tired, and she said no, the movie was just long. <laughs> the movie just kept going, and we we had we we had to take two pee breaks, <laughs> and both times I was surprised how much of the movie was still in front of us. Yeah. Uh, the, the second time, it was still like 40 to 45 minutes, and I thought, well, shouldn't we get towards the end by this point? <laughs> um, and, and, and Bianca said, and I like Tig Notaro as well, 
But Bianca said that whole storyline, the whole character, could be cut out of the movie without changing much. It would still work. And I think she's right. And yeah. and you just talked about uh, problems with the script, and I think that is probably the the main thing that they should have, as you often say, they should have had another pass at the script. And this is, again, one of those movies, and we've talked about that over the years, It's a Netflix movie. Of course, it's two hours and seven minutes because Netflix <laughs> movies are always two hours. And I looked up... So the movie written and directed by Christopher Landon who did, uh, who directed the Happy Death Day movies, um, wrote Happy Death Day to You, wrote and directed Freaky and, and a bunch of other movies. So I, l I had a look at his filmography. Uh, the, he, he did a few movies, uh, his very earliest that I don't know. And uh, then one of the Paranormal Activity movies, the, um, uh, what's the English title here? Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse is one that he did. So, mm. And I will just give you the run times of all his features that he did. One hour 45. One hour 24. That's the Paranormal one. Paranormal Activity. One hour 33. One hour 36. One hour 40. One hour 42. And then two hours and six minutes. So all his other movies in are basically in the 90 to 100 minutes range that we recently scientifically decided 100 minutes is the perfect <laughs> length for a movie, right? <laughs> Unless it's John Wick, in which case three hours. Yeah, I think that was it. <laughs> and then we have a ghost is over two hours. Mm. And I think that's a problem. Uh, I think this movie definitely could be shorter. It could be slimmer and, and there's there's fat to be cut. And and I think the the, the, the script could have been tightened. And um, then I think it would be an even more enjoyable movie. Is this the story of Tignataro's cinematic career that she is in parts that could have been cut or were added to existing movies? <laughs> I'm thinking Army of the Dead. I think wasn't she brought in after the fact and kind of well they CG'd the, she, into the movie. <laughs> Yeah, but she replaced another actor. Oh, so the that's scenes right. were shot yeah, that's right. with Crystalia, the comedian who then stumbled uh, over a Me Too case yeah. and was digitally replaced by Tignotaro in the movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, yeah, that ruins that joke, I guess. <laughs> Shame on me. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it, it, is, it is a shame because you're absolutely right. That... Um, that that role in the movie doesn't really need to be there at all. Um, the government could have just turned up, nameless, faceless suits could have just turned up and uh, and, and got involved. She, it didn't need to have a human face. Yeah. But I suppose I mean, it's basically ET. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I suppose the only reason that she exists is because you need a human face and somebody that shows remorse and pity on Ernest for him to escape because they clearly needed for whatever reason they wanted him to be captured and then let go um or escape so i don't know if that's part of the book maybe um or the short story uh, i think you said it was based on a short story this yeah um i don't know i don't know i'm i'm glad she's there this is the thing I, I can acknowledge that she was in a part that didn't need to be there, but at the same time, mm. also say that I'm happy that she was in it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <though>. <laughs> we enjoy her because she's Tignotaro. Absolutely. 
the character and the storyline is probably not necessary for the movie, but we enjoy Tignotar's performance in those scenes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I would like her to just randomly turn up in lots of films now, <laughs> just as Tignotaro and uh, just be in a place, be in a part that doesn't need to be there, but is enjoyable nonetheless. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is a long movie. It is a long movie. And like, there's there's some really fun parts like the car chase scene. They they have some very imaginative mm. uses of Ernest as a ghost. Um, I, I like the whole aspect of ghost on the road trip kind of thing, you know, wearing mm. the glasses and then the police uh, catching them and and him disappearing and the glasses just kind of dropping onto the onto the seat. That was that was pretty fun. Um, there's some good physical humor that involves him being invisible and like lifting people up and turning them around and. Uh, stuff like that but ultimately it just has too many issues to be a film that you'd be like oh no I absolutely recommend it it's a brilliant film you're definitely going to have fun like Mm. I I do think it's a fun movie and I do think that people will enjoy enough of it when they watch it but Mm. there's just there are issues both the ones that I've highlighted and the ones that you've mentioned that just kind of stop it from being an instant recommend like there are other things on Netflix that you would recommend people check out before this one. Um, and that's kind of the problem. Is that if 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 your newest film is, is not good enough to be recommended over the top of stuff you already brought out, then outside of it just being new content, what's mm. the point of it? It's, it's a shame. And that's a discussion that has been had for for several years now when people talk about netflix movies that they're often okay movies but seldom great movies Mm. and uh, this is another one of those and i believe that after all these years um people are probably a little tired of netflix movies being okay movies that you watch because you have netflix but that you're not really that excited about. And Anthony Mackie is in a lot of those movies. <laughs> Anthony Mackie is one of those <laughs> actors who's been in a lot of Netflix movies. He's made a lot and of bank off of Netflix, and God bless mean, he's, him. He's 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 more he's pretty much famous for being like <laughs> like like Sam Jackson. Uh, he's he's in many movies because he he's getting a check. He's, uh, he's and got... that's, uh, he's absolutely. That's absolutely fine. Uh, he's, he's in a lot of Marvel movies, and that means that he can afford to do whatever he wants outside of there. <laughs> See, I don't know. Um, I, I don't think Sam Jackson more than um, Anthony Mackie. To be fair, I think Anthony yeah. Mackie's been in about three movies so far. Uh, yeah, five, six. Mackie's in three Netflix movies per year, I think. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I, th- I think they, they they just take every job because they have they they are getting paid and they enjoy making movies. Uh, and not all of those not all of those movies are great. Uh, hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just just uh, noticed that Anthony Mackie is in a bunch of Netflix movies. He's one of those actors. Still, and, yeah. you know, you you say. Uh, I I I liked that um, when you were talking about Netflix movies. And about how like there's several of them made a year, and you're never excited to watch any of them. If you replace the word Netflix with Hallmark, it, <laughs> you would be having a conversation from about twenty years ago, because the Hallmark Channel basically just lives off of making these middle of the road B movies, 
that nobody really cares about but end up watching because nothing else is on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's that, always that's like... Hallmark, Hallmark Channel is something that I only knew through American discourse and yeah. American movies and it being referenced as a <laughs> thing. Uh, it, it's not a thing in Germany. So no, I know no. that it exists. I know I have an idea of what kind of movies they make and that they make all the, the Christmas movies and that they, they all look the same and stuff. But I've n never actually had any um, interaction with Hallmark. No, no. I, it's, uh, I only really referenced it because similarly to you, I've not really had much, thank God, um, experience with Hallmark movies, but it is one of those touchstones that everyone seems to know about, regardless of whether they live in America or not. But yeah, it's. Um, do, are there are there any other things uh, on <laughs> on the negative side that you wanted to mention? <laughs> um, no, not really. Uh, I think the the as as we discussed, there's there's characters and and especially actors that we enjoyed in the movie there's performances that we enjoyed and there's moments and scenes that we liked that were funny or that were entertaining in, in whatever way but as a whole um it's it's a decent movie um i think it looked good i think aesthetically camera work uh and and also the the score as i mentioned i think worked well um, it's a well-made movie uh, when christopher landon has made several movies and and some successful very successful movies so he's definitely a good filmmaker i guess i, I think i guess sound too negative i think <laughs> um but yeah i think the script could have been tightened and i did not look up the editor sometimes uh the the editor is also a factor um uh, so I don't know who who made that, and and maybe it's just the the Netflix thing that it. I mean, it's is often being said that the good thing with working with Netflix is that they don't interfere with your work. Mm. But I think some filmmakers need a little interference, like an <laughs> editor or like 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 with 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 publishing right you have some, someone who looks at what you're doing and, mm. and and what you're presenting and then said yeah well maybe cut something here maybe switch something here put here a line in there and, and lose that page or lose that character and 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 it makes the work better mm. and sometimes it seems like netflix movies don't get that treatment and i might be wrong i don't know <laughs> but uh, sometimes netflix movies feel like someone else should have taken another look at this and another pass at the editing or at the script yeah. and, and it would have made for a better movie it's it's a shame um but you know i i i would say like if you have netflix and if you want to see a really really great performance from a lead actor then i could just about see myself clear of recommending this movie just to watch david harbour's performance by itself because that is like I I I don't want to over egg the pudding, but I think that it's really really difficult to give a compelling performance when there's very little. Again, we spent a month talking about silent movies, and here I am talking about this straight away, uh, without saying a single word or very few words. I mean, he says like two. He says June Bug, and I think he says why at some point as well. Um, but given the lack of um, 
a opportunity to speak about what he is motivated by or his feelings or anything like that. The fact that he gets so much across just from his facial expressions uh, is is really impressive. I, I kind of wonder how he would have fared in the days of, of uh, silent movies because kind of looks to me like he would have he would have taken it fairly well in his stride that's an interesting point um the as we as we've seen over over the the silent Monge episodes and and from other silent era movies that we've seen the acting style of course was very very different even in even david harbour's performance being silent his acting style is very natural to uh, 2023 eyes. Yeah. So it is, a, of course, a very different acting style from from uh, what we saw in the, in the movies from 1920s. I saw a like a, a press thing for for Babylon where Brad Pitt talked about um, not having seen that many silent movies because it's an acting style that he's not very much interested in as hmm. an actor himself which i found pretty interesting if you commented from from that perspective that you that you're watching movies for specifically for the acting and for maybe taking inspiration from them for your own work in in the case of Brad Pitt he he wasn't very interested before Babylon at least or, or hadn't seen many silent movies before because he wasn't there interested in in the acting hmm. uh, in those movies. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, I couldn't really say anything about <laughs> David Harbour's ability to star in a 1920s movie. <laughs> no, no, but I, I, I do think it would still be interesting just to to see how he would fare uh, yeah. in that environment because this definitely makes me think, like you know. The fact that he's able to be so expressive with so little uh, spoken dialogue, and you really do get the feeling that you know what he's trying to say without the words. Um, he does cheat a little bit in that he mouths a few words as well, yeah. um, but that's fine. <laughs> that's all. Mm. That, that's not audio. It's visual. <laughs> it counts. So, I mean, that's um, that's probably a, a main difference between this movie and, and movies from the 1920s because David Harbour is playing a character that is not able to speak mm. in a sound movie and in the sound movies those people were able to speak we just couldn't hear them as, as viewers that's true <laughs> so there's that's a difference true. there uh, but yeah I mean if, if someone were to make a, a silent movie now as, as they did with the artist some years ago oof, I'm sure David Harbour could play in that movie. Why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Any more mud to sling, or are we? <laughs> um, no, not really. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't think we we d didn't throw too much shade on the movie. I no, thought no. we we re reviewed it decently with some some critique, but also with some praise. <laughs> yeah i so I, mixed reviews again <laughs> true true i i definitely think that there is some good stuff in this movie it's it's worth checking out i mean if, if you already have netflix and you're not going to the extra expense 
and you fancy watching something that falls into the comedy horror genre. I'm not even sure if it would necessarily fit into comedy horror, but more more comedy, really. Mm. Uh, There's very little in the way of horror here, apart from the supernatural aspect of him being a ghost. Um, Yeah, the only sequence is is probably the Jennifer Coolidge sequence when he um, melts his own face uh, and and his eyes fall out. that's, That's like the one horror sequence. But overall, I think yeah, it, it is it is that teen adventure movie with a supernatural element, mm. uh, and of course, there's that then the the darker element towards the end when the real Ernest shows up and and um, yeah tries to kill the family. Um, but yeah, it 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 is the the horror aspects aren't like the the big aspects of the movie. One thing that I wanted to mention before uh, we had our little technical issue. Mm. Um, talking about netflix movies and netflix teen horror uh movies um there's vampires versus the bronx with a an hour and 25 minutes which is <laughs> so a very entertaining movie so if yes. you want to see a, a a shorter teen horror movie on netflix vampires versus the bronx is a good choice that'll do <laughs> that'll do that very much i very much enjoyed that movie when yeah. we watched it when we reviewed it so yeah that's uh that that's a recommendation from me as well there for vampires versus the bronx it's definitely an outlier <laughs> with with a runtime of under 90 minutes definitely definitely like the as 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 i've uh, famously now said the the first two men in black movies uh, <laughs> yeah. both, both definitely <laughs> underrated <laughs> oh well um double feature picks have yeah. you got any ideas andy yeah i i I wrote down two movies that I kept thinking about throughout the movie, and um, at different in, at different scenes, I I thought of either the one or the other movie. Right. <laughs> so it it seemed like a, an an amalgamation of uh, E. T. and Housebound. <laughs> oh, nice! <laughs> but, but at the end, I thought I I, I would go with Housebound. Um, I think that would be my my double feature. I, mean, I don't know how how often have we picked Housebound? It, it seems like we're always going to the same well. There's so many movies that I I I, I picked several times over the past seven years or whatever. Um, and I believe Housebound is is one of those that's come up uh, more often than others, definitely. Um, <laughs> but the, the the whole thing of especially the the the, the reveal. Of the killer and the killer then trying to to kill the the, the people in the house. So the, the, those darker elements that we have a ghost also has in the in the um, earnest. What was his name? Shell Sheller. Um, Sheller, I think. Scheller, yeah. yeah, character that reminded me of Housebound. And then, as earlier I mentioned, uh, with the the government coming in, capturing the ghost, and then all, all stuff. And then the, the the ghost going away at the end is like the, the the ET going home thing. So there's there's a lot of ET in the movie, and a lot of Housebound, I believe. Uh, so yeah, Housebound. What do you think? Um, I too will be picking from my list of often recommended movies because uh, as everyone knows I've only seen three movies in the horror genre uh, <laughs> uh, Gremlins, Ghost Story and my recommendation this week Gothica um, <laughs> the reason being um, spoilers for a 20 year old movie everybody 
Um, there's a reveal near the end of the movie that the ghost isn't trying to haunt Halle Berry. It's actually trying to uh, tell her who was responsible for their murder. And um, it, it's all revealed that uh, the, the sheriff, played by um, John Carroll Lynch, uh, was actually responsible for the murder of the, uh, of, of the spirit. Um, and the final kind of 15, 20 minutes of this movie reminded me a lot of Gothica because it, it feels very similar. Um, not in terms of, you know, I mean, one of them is a comedy movie that turns into a murder whodunit. The other one is a horror movie that turns into a, a murder whodunit. Um, but the big reveal that one of the characters that we've previously met who was all lovely and, you know, nice and everything is actually a horrible killer. Um, and the ghosts themselves are not the bad guys. They're just trying to exact some form of natural justice. Um, kind of fits quite nicely for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I really, really struggled to think of anything else that fit. So <laughs> this, this was uh, one of the few movies that I could think of mm-hmm. that had some kind of thematic link to it. Um, and also, it has a really good cover of Behind Blue Eyes by Limp Biscuit. <laughs> Uh, on the soundtrack, which is probably one of the only redeeming features of the entire film. <laughs> I think those scenes in that music video is, is all I've ever seen of the movie. <laughs> it's all you ever need movie. to see, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I've ruined and it you for already, you now. <laughs> you already brought up that movie last week for A Page of Madness. That, yeah. I don't know if you actually picked it as your double feature pick, but it was a possibility that you mentioned <laughs> <laughs> for a silent movie. So that, that, that was the the theme there. All right, okay, so that was that. We have a ghost, 2023. Um, and for next week, we have not decided yet on what to do. Uh, as always, we have a bit of a list of things that we want to do. Dave and I have several things that we talked about last year that we need to inform David about <laughs> we want to do this year. Um, and yeah, there's there's one thing that I need to inform Dave on as well. Oh, I extended one of our topics that we already talked about, so, so possibly, possibly a three-episode series. Um, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, you know all the drill about social media and email. Send us messages. We'll read them on the air unless you tell us not to. But we enjoy the feedback. So, uh, thanks again. Uh, keep watching horror movies. Bye bye. Bye bye. This has been a production of FanOff.com. And that's perfect.